Welcome, Steve, to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. How are you doing tonight, man? Good to see you, man. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, big fan. So I want to go over what's going on with you guys now, but we'll get a little history so if new people watching can kind of get a, a taste of what was going on prior. Um, let's start early, early. Probably wow. your first album. or Actually, let's start. Let's go way back. We'll go way back. We'll go, go back. back. Six years old. <laughs> six years old. What got you do music, actually? Yeah, actually, what got you going? Centuries ago, right? Um, and, the, and I'll tell you why I'm, why I'm doing that. Because uh, when I was six years old for my birthday, uh, I remember walking outside in the backyard. And there was a, it wasn't a rectangular cardboard box. It was like, a, what is it, a rhombus or whatever, whatever. And it was a, a cardboard box with a guitar in it, right? Mm-hmm. I, thought about that you know I, I gosh I didn't even thought about music at that point and it was my birthday present for my my folks and so they immediately put me into guitar lessons at school first grade it was first grade and a few months into it I remember the guy's name was Mr. Spano I can remember I can picture him in my head if you can imagine that and uh I remember him coming up to my mom when she picked me up from lessons and she he said uh you know and I hate saying stuff like this because it makes me feel a little weird but he said I haven't seen anybody play like that and, and have the six years old, have the, the, the talent for it. Now I tell people all the time, look, I can't cook. I can't fix a car. I have lots of things I am no good at. I was blessed with a talent to play guitar. So it was a blessing. It was a talent. So yeah. at that point at six years old, I'm like, you know what? Wow. This is pretty cool. He said, you've got to get him in private lessons. So I liked it. That's the good part. Is I liked playing the guitar, and I knew that. I, okay, I guess I. He said I'm good. I must be okay at it. I was into sports in school, right? So I immediately went into classical and flamenco guitar. Took private lessons, and that's what I did for ten years. And the reason that was important to me because this past week, I was messing around on YouTube and I found a video of this classical guitar player doing box Ave Maria, mm-hmm. and. I picked my guitar up and I just started learning it from watching him play. And I said, Oh my God, I have completely forgotten about how amazing and how beautiful the classical guitar is. And that's, that was what all I did. I mean, I played lots of talent shows playing Malaganya. And I mean, I spent probably a year, you know, it was like an ongoing piece to, to learn how to play that. And I learned Jose Feliciano's version of it. And, uh, you know, and at that time, you ha- I had the book with the music in it. I was re- I could read at the time. And then I had uh, the LP. So you know how hard it is you to learn a song out. and when you're a little kid and you're and you're learning a piece and you have to go back and hear it again. You gotta pick the needle up and move it over. I couldn't, even, over. Do I couldn't even do that. I, I had a crappy you know, steel acoustic. It was hurt my hand so bad I'm like I just threw out the window. And, and that's like, what and, and I sang in a rock band for a while and, and then now because of YouTube, now I play guitar because of YouTube I can visually take my time yeah you can watch people over and over again and and sometimes you can even maneuver it so it i can't back. play i can't play by ear my, my my daughter can she can pick up something oh, here i can't i'm like i gotta see it i gotta get paper i got you <laughs> I need, yeah I, I need fireworks yeah exactly so i'm that renewed my interest and i'm like you know I'm, I, i've really gotten away from the, the the beauty of classical and flamenco guitar so i just got a new classical well i, I bought a 50 year old classical guitar um new old this week it was a, it's it's one that was made in spain like 45 50 years ago and it's funny because a friend of mine had he goes man i'll sell it to you because I, I don't play it anymore 
And so I got it and, and I started to put strings on it. Oh. And the tuning pegs were so old that the first one snapped in half and, and cut my finger. <laughs> so oh. like, I'm going to have to redo this whole thing. But um, it's a whole history. So that's how I started off with classical and flamenco guitar until I was like in high school. And then uh, the local, the friend of mine, he was like the local stoner guy, really nice kid. Um, but he was playing, he had a Les Paul and he was playing you know, the Heartbreaker solo at 15. And I'm like, well, that's cool, man. But I, I didn't, it didn't relate to me soloing and, and lead guitar playing. Mine was all about finger picking and the guitar. Were you listening to rock at that point though? What's that? Were you listening to rock while you're doing that? Were you starting to get into you know, rock? I, I got it. I started, I actually started getting into pop music. I say pop, not pop, like singer songwriter stuff. Yeah. Like when I was 11 and 12, I remember the top 72 of 1972 Don McLean's American Pie was the number one song. Nilsson's Without You was number two. All the best songs and songwriters were in the 70s. In the early 70s, it was everything like Terry Jack, Season of the Sun, and Bread, you know, Baby I'm a Want, you know, all those songs that really, along with the classical training, made me start to get into songwriting and, and the beauty of songwriting. And like, that's what sticks is the, the great song. Okay, it's not like how great my guitar playing is or how great this singer is. It's the the essence and, and uniqueness and beauty of that piece. That's what's going to last forever. Mm -hmm. So I started to realize that songwriting was really uh, such an important element in leaving your mark, which is what I wanted to do. So um, that's what I, I really started listening to that. Then... I got into Alice Cooper and I got into Alice Cooper because I was watching In Concert on TV. I used to have this show called In Concert. It was like a midnight special was another one. And yeah. they, I mean, I saw Rush on there when they first came out and Alice Cooper and Zeppelin. And it was fantastic. And I saw Alice Cooper on live. He did four songs live and they showed the elected videos right when Billion Dollar Babies came out. <laughs> and that's what I want to do. Because that the, the way that his band, the songs he wrote, it wasn't just hard rock guitar it was hard rock with this class they didn't even, they probably didn't even realize the classical influence in the melodies of what they wrote and um that's what i wanted to do so i remember my dad gave me schools out album when it came out and it was on vinyl obviously and he pulled it out and had a pair of women's panties wrapped yeah. around the vinyl and you know needless to say mom wasn't totally thrilled i didn't even know what it was i thought it was like some cool hat or something you know i didn't know <laughs> yeah i was 11 what did i know i didn't care and um and so we had in the kitchen we had speakers up in the ceiling and a and a turntable in the living room so if you played something in there it came out in the kitchen and that was the only way i could listen so mom's doing kitchen work and all this and i and i had schools out and black sabbath paranoid and that's where i started to just sit there with my electric guitar. I had the crappiest $60 electric guitar when I first bought one from service merchandise. And I sat in there and the strings wouldn't stay in tune. And it was, and I didn't care. And I just learned paranoid and war pigs and all those songs. And then I forced myself because I had, I knew how to read and I knew how to play. And none of these other guys knew how to do what I did, but I didn't know how, how to do what they did. So I just started learning and learning. And all of a sudden it just clicked. And like I started the guitar club at school and got in my first cover band when I was a senior in high school. And all of a sudden I realized that all that, that training, it, it really, it made sense. Once I understood 
the positions on the neck and all the different, uh, how all the positions have just blended into one. It was one continuous stream. And all I had to do was just play and play and play. It all clicked. And then the ear came and I started learning everything. And that's why I, I developed my ear. And that's why I tell people to go learn everything. I can listen to any song and I'll tell you how to play it if I've never, I don't have a guitar in front of me because I listen so much and I can hear, uh, it, you know, I can hear a, a chord and instantly, you know, just because of the, the fingering and the, the position of the notes, where it's played, if it's detuned, if it's this or that. And that was all due to just learning every song and every album I had. And that's what I would recommend to new players. Even if it's something you don't really like, you know, yeah. go learn it. And, uh, and that's what I did. And then, then it was getting in cover bands and playing everywhere and anywhere I could. And then in, uh, in 83, uh, I was in a band called Oz with Mike Max, our bass player, original bass player. And he's been in the band now for several years now back with me. And uh, we just started playing and we were playing everything from Thin Lizzy to Sabbath, the Sticks to Aerosmith, all the, the stuff we grew up with. And, uh, and then uh, that was it. Then we, we had a, a manager who tried to steal our name. So we changed the name to Lillian Axe. We had a revamping of the lineup and then we hit it. And then four years later, we got you know, our, our first record deal with MCA. So that in a nutshell is how we got started. Uh, is it true how you got the name? Is it like from a creep show or something? Yeah, I'd seen creep show, the first one. And right at the beginning, there's a, a scene where there's a skeleton. It's like a bridesmaid skeleton in the kid's window. And uh, I don't know. It's just that the thing, because I've always been into horror and the supernatural and, uh, and, and what we don't know about. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw that, it was just kind of the epitome. It just made me think of, you know, I don't want a, a crazy old lady name, you know, just kind of senile tongue in cheek kind of thing. And I remember leaving the movie and going over to, to our, the singer at the time's house. And right at the, I can tell you, the corner of the street I was at. And just the name Lillian sounded senile. It's like Lillian, Lillian X. That's it. And I remember knocking on the guy's door and I said, hey, the guy's singer at the time's name was Rick. I said, Rick, the band's going to be called Lillian X. Hope you like it. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> We actually, actually do. That's cool. And that was it. It was very spontaneous. Very cool. And then from there, it's just like, you know, club after club after club. And the scene down here at that time was so flourishing, man. You could play a different venue. Look, there were clubs that were, you know, you're talking about like Tuesday through Sunday. There were there was live music. You could play in a rock band like us where, you know, we were kind of doing stuff that nobody else was doing. Uh, the only other band that was having success, mm-hmm. but they were doing different kind of stuff down here was Zebra. But they were doing like Zeppelin and Moody Blues and stuff like that. So it was different. We were doing, you know, Judas Priest and Van Halen and Black Sabbath and stuff like that. And we were, you know, starting to introduce the the whole, our version of the whole. Were early. you sneaking in originals at that point too? Yes. Yes. I told everybody. I said, the only way we can do this. It, it became towards the end when we got signed like three quarters originals with our, you know, favorite covers. But at first, pretty much about half and half. And, uh, and that's when I just started, you know, just dishing it out, writing, writing and learning, you know, and, and learning. And I treated songwriting like something that needed to be practiced as well. And I don't mean practice like sitting down and forcing myself to write songs. I needed to be I needed to practice on uh, 
paying attention to what inspired me, paying attention to the things that I thought that it moved me because I've, I, I always have felt like we're all different. Every individual has a different set of life circumstances and whatnot, but basic emotional impulses are the same for, I think for everybody, you know, we all, you know, see something sad and, and we react, whether we, we cry or we hurt on the inside. Sadness is a universal feeling. Happiness is a universal. We just all have different uh, ways that we show it and different uh, ways that we feel it. But I always kind of felt like I, I need to have to, the emotion I feel when I write a song, I've got to be able to portray that. And I've got to admit that to the other person that they feel like I do. How do I do that? Well, I can read poetry all day long and it's, uh, you know, poetry is great, but it's one dimensional. Music by itself is great. It's one dimensional. If I can combine the two and which is one reason why I love movie soundtracks, because you it's it's not words, but it's actually visual with music and why it's so powerful. If I can make those things work together and uh, I'll maybe make people feel the same way I do about that emotion that I'm writing about. And so that was the practice was just write a lot and listen to it and live with it and see, you know, Hey, I thought it was a great song now, but in three or four weeks, I'll listen back to it. I still feel the same way that I did when I wrote it. And, uh, many, many songs, uh, uh, work. They passed the test with me, the litmus test. And some of them didn't. And I'll go back to them years later and take little pieces that I liked out of them. So that was the important thing. I, like I said, I, I, can't stress enough um if you want to if you want to be a songwriter just open up your head you know listen to everything uh pay attention to yourself pay attention to other people too because it is probably the most important aspect of being a musician to me personally even more so than the guitar player yeah i, I do think the song is probably the strongest part i mean it, it means the most it's going to remember it the most I know a good guitar lead underneath something really kind of helps carry it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And let me tell you, I've always, and I've always tried to do this. It's been um, of major importance that, and I think if you listen to a lot of my solos, there, there are things that you could sing, you know, like I always wanted to be able to sing. That doesn't mean I don't go off if it calls for just your, you know, just your riffing kind of thing, but I can always sing my solos. And that's why Brian May from Queen was, always like my top guitar player because every solo we did whether it was one note or a hundred notes I could sing them all and they were yep. they were just as important and then I would listen to some guitar players that even though they were great I was like I want to get back to the vocals you know like the solo was just like yeah an opportunity to fill some time now, I don't mean that in an ugly way maybe that it worked out but for me personally I felt that what interested me was a solo that was just as important as the vocal line was, you know, and not having it be something that was just a filler for the song for 45 seconds. So we can, uh, you know, well, I think, yeah, character trumps, um, the Absolutely. playing the scales, right? You know, there are some great people that do it, but yep. I can't listen to their whole album. I mean, they're probably the best guitarists, but I can't sit down and listen to the whole album. Yeah. And, and that's some people, you know, like some people like enjoy that. I mean, people look at, People go to a Grateful Dead concert. You know what I'm saying? They just yep. enjoy that 10 hours of what it is, each to his yeah. own. The but I knew me personally, for me to, to be 
happy with what I was creating, I had to make those sections where people wanted to be able to. I don't want to just fast forward over the solo, you know what I'm saying? So that was as important to me as the actual vocal itself, which to me, I know people are going to say, what? But the vocal is, is to me, the most important part of every song. Well, I, I think I, I get it. I mean, I know everyone has an album at a certain time. And for me, probably your most popular album got me the most because that was a perfect time for me in the, the age. You know what I'm saying? Right. I don't the other albums. I, I, they're good. I like them. But the age I was at and the power of like Love and War and then like the sounds of Ghost of Winter and then like right. on top, it's like, okay, I can still have melodies. So, I mean, I still listen to it. It's, 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 it is, as you say that, it does feel kind of like a soundtrack. Yeah. I never, I never really got that because it, it felt like it was, when you put it on, I don't think I ever listened to like one song. I didn't do a show a little love. You, you were, I was invested in from the beginning to the end. It was a, it was a piece. I've thought every album has been that for, uh, you know, some people say, you know, they do con- conceptual albums. To me, it was like everyone was a book with different chapters, right? And I, I spent lots of time organizing um, the arrangement of, of uh, the, the track listing in order, the order of the listing, because I always thought that was important. And I didn't look at it as side A and B on when, when vinyl was there, right? Right. I didn't look at it like that. I looked at it like I wanted this to be everything was like a movie or a book that what not necessarily topically um, you know, there's going from, you know, all's fair, love and war to, to she likes it on top. That's a n- not necessarily topically um, transition from one to the other because every song was different topics. But sonically, rhythmically and flow wise, I wanted you to put the first song and felt like you were kind of riding the wave. You know, we're coming up, we're going to go this and you're not going to be I'm not going to put. Uh, three or four songs that are, you know, very uh, congruous next to each other that are going to be like one blend into one big song. I wanted this thing to have peaks and valleys and highs and lows um, as far as uh, the overall feel. So at the end of it, I feel like, wow, take a deep breath. That was good. Now, the new album that we're working on right now is called From Womb to Tomb, and it is conceptual. So I'm actually kind of writing and recording it in order as it comes because it is um, kind of a it is kind of a soundtrack to my life, not necessarily about specific incidents, but specific lessons and emotions and things that I've gone through from birth all the way up to what's going to happen to me when I pass away. But all the same things like I was saying earlier all the same emotions and spiritual things that happen to each one of us, I think are relatively the same. They're all different, but we, you know, you're born, you learn about life, you know, you, you learn about family, then you go to school and then you learn about relationships and then you do this and then you grow up. Those just kind of along those lines where I think everybody will be able to relate to it, but I'm writing it in order of like a, like a timeline of my life. Um, the, every other record I've thought of as almost musically conceptual. Is it going to be Just similar to, though, in the same type of music vein though? What's is that it, now? Is it going to be like similar, like musically though, or is it going to be more dramatic or more still rock record still? 
I think it's it's gonna be you know I even the like the the opening song is uh it's called Breathe and it's actually it starts off with the uh, an actual recording of uh and the uh unborn baby's heartbeat and then the baby boom bursts into into reality um into life the second song is called i'm beyond and it's a heavy heavy song um but there's keyboards there's big vocals massive guitar. Right, so, it's, so it's um it's still rock but like a, a whole album of ghost of winter um world stop turning here's the thing i mean and you step back like so of course that was my that album and then the self-titled one and poetic justice and i'm horrible like remembering a certain point then you get older become a grown-up and like my cassettes are gone and then i've got my vinyl back but there's right. a point where like with itunes also like i saw like all these i'm like oh my god look all this little next next thing you know next thing you know no is it night the temple or live my temple yeah fantastic. one night in the temple. fantastic um right. And I started listening to the other albums. I'm like, man, they're just, it was, they're just as strong too. It just, at this point in my life, it, it didn't resonate like 24 hours a day listening to the same album. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, you see the so last. But, but musically it's just as strong. It's just, as, it's, it's, it's the melodies there with the guitar. It's. I think, honestly, I think this is going to be, and, and I say this every record, but there's something different and magical about this one and something epic i'm almost like it's kind of a thing it's weird and i don't mean this in a, in a cryptic way but it's like this album's got to be the one that if something happened to me when i, if I pass away and, and you walk away from it after it happens i know i will have created what what i set out to like something that's going to be really hard for me to ever you're, you're sergeant you're sergeant pepper or your uh yeah. I mean, I hope I have Not, another two records yeah. in me to be honest with you, but it just like the the last um, the last track on the record, which is going to be about ascension into heaven, is when I I listen to just the the raw uh, basic tracks of it, and every time I do it, I, I tear up, and that's me coming from just because I'm like God, please let this thing come out and be recorded the way i'm hearing it in my head and that's how i'm handled that's why it's taken it's going slow because i am making i want every nuance of of every song to be just the absolute uh, epitome of everything i've ever learned or, or tried to do in my life so um and it's 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 working out so far um we have Three tracks fully recorded. We're going to do two more in the second week in January. It's probably going to be a 14, 15 song record. It's got lots of little musical pieces in between the songs. It's kind of like, I guess, for lack of a better thing, like Our The Wall, you know. Um, that's not going to be a double record. It's just going to be a long record, but lots of stuff. And uh, I just, when people ask, how do I describe it in one way? I just say epic. That's all I can say is I love the big, emotional transitions like ghost of winter and uh, uh like world stop turning and uh songs like the promised land and see you someday and things like that but at the same token it's it's very heavy record heavy guitars big guitars i told them i said you know some bands like to go man we're gonna keep it raw and keep it you know basic and we're gonna strip it down and that's good it works for some bands for me, I want the record to sound like Angels recorded it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that, and, and one of the things, uh, one of the bands that made me understand that was Queen. 
you know, when you listen to the first few records, they're just ungodly. I mean, Ogre Battle, March of the Black Queen. I mean, these are things that were, you listen to those now, I don't think people even realize what Queen was doing in the first five. And I agree with you. Unbelievable. But you know what? You listen to Ogre Battle and it's like heavy and this is this production is insane and these vocals and you go watch them do it live. And it's like, oh, my God, all that stuff. They still brought that power and that feel even live with three guys playing everything that was probably overdubbed a thousand times. And I barely remember anybody, anybody even got them back then. Though. That was a thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, that's like my favorite stuff. I remember I had that discussion with Leif, who engineered Poetic Justice and um, and uh, Psycho. And I was like, you know, um, are we cool with just because I want to make these, I want these productions big, you know? He goes, look, you don't have to, you don't have to replicate uh, every little sound live. You just have to do great versions of your own songs when you play live. And that, that resonated with me. I'm like, you're right. I don't have to, if I have five part harmonies here, we we don't have five singers in the band. We'll do two or three part and they're going to be good and it's going to sound great. But I want the record to sound like a thousand angels came down and recorded. I want that thing. Every time you put it on, your soul moves, you know. And uh, so that's um, that's kind of you know I've always felt like that. To be honest with you, the only thing that's ever kept me from getting anything any better has been just like uh, timelines and finances and you know budgets and records got to be done at this time. You got to get. The- and, you actually, know. good question there. That's actually so. A lot of bands from the eighties and nineties, whatever, are still putting out albums, and there are a lot of really good music that way better than what's going on. You know right. what I'm saying? Everyone, a lot, a lot of, a lot of that genre, even from the seventies, they're still going. A lot, I can say, seventies, eighties, and nineties rock bands all put out albums, and they're all pretty strong overall. Right. But, but with record labels gone. And the shuffle. I mean, I know some labels have been pretty good. Like I know Frontiers saved a bunch of bands and putting stuff right. out. You guys have gotten shuffled a few times. How is that landscape to balance getting an album and in and, and playing? And you know what I'm saying? How do you navigate that now? Well, I've actually had eight record deals. <laughs> okay, eight. All right, now you're records. bragging. No. <laughs> no, I'm not. I wish. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> you know? But Irving Azoff signed us to MCA, right? Yeah. As soon as we got there, he went and formed giant records and disappeared. And we, you know, we're, we're doing our records. We're trying to make this thing happen. The radio guys go, Shoulder Love's going to be the biggest hit in the world and this and that. And we're like, okay, but where, when, you know, where's our tour support? Why aren't you putting us on a good tour? Why yeah. are you telling us to jump from here to here? Why are we, you know, you know, why are you guys telling us to go do another record instead of continuing on? with this and and you know we're willing to go out there you know 11 months out of a year and tour and tour it, the whole scene has changed so much you know in the 70s record companies would have a couple of bands on their label you know and that's what they believed in and they just gave it all to that right then was became, MCA? i'm sorry i'm sorry who else was an mca back then with you there wasn't like a lot of rock bands wasn't there and back then wasn't it like well oh. you know what they called mca right that was our first uh, music cemeteries of america <laughs> when we were on there they had Cold Sweat, Elton John, Alice Cooper. Spread Eagle, uh, I think was on that, right? Weed um, F.A. Who? Yep. Was it Spread Eagle? Were they on Spread it Eagle. Yeah. Look, I, we toured with Alice Cooper a few times, and Alice Cooper told me that when he was on MCA, 
uh, I think Irving Azoff himself told him that he did not ever want to see Alice Cooper get something to that effect. Like they didn't even believe in, in Alice at that time. And, you know, uh, it was just, I, I, they called it music cemeteries of America because all they did was sign a bunch of bands and threw it on the wall and hope something stuck. But you don't have, if you don't put any glue on it, it ain't going to stick. And they did nothing for us. And so that's where we were fortunate to get picked up by Grand Slam IRS, which was under the SEMA uh, umbrella. Yeah. And it got better, but it's that still... after MTA? That was like right like after your yeah. third or fourth album? Yeah, Poetic. we did the first two albums, and then we got signed to this label. And then Poetic Justice was doing great. Yeah. Right? I mean, we had we were on the, the back page of R and R and you know, we were on Muzak, you know, the people, the guys in Pantera heard us in the Taco Bell, you know, and <laughs> while they were getting tacos, you know. And so, you know, it's like it but we didn't do a video for it. And it was a hit. It was a top 40 hit. And we didn't do a video. They go, we're going to go and do, do a let's release no matter what, which is a cover song and do a video. Right, right. right. I'm like, why are you guys doing this? And then we're going to really see you someday, but only to CHR radio. And then we're going to do this. It's like nobody had a clue. They should have got us on a good tour. They should have kept pushing what was working. But the second, like it was climbing up the charts and it would get up to like number 36. But if it dropped to number 37, oh, it's over with. You know, it's like. I didn't see as much of you guys back then. Like, so like from my end as a fan and those are my, like like in, in the magazines and going to school. I told you, you said earlier, the video, the the hard and heavy, that that yeah, yeah. Then a handful of your videos on MTV. Very once while here by a tour in the magazine that you tour. Right. I don't even think you, I ever really came around where I was at the time, because um, I don't think you were really out there as much. And then I remember the, the poetic justice, the uh, the in, in some of the big in the music mags, the big right. old album cover with the axe and the old lady right. that was everywhere. And then yeah, I remember that single, but that's when I feel like the presence was not as strong. And that's where you kind of feel like. No, we, we never look. One thing I can say about my career, I've never had the big machine, never had the management. Marshall Burrow managed the band for the first two records. And I guarantee you, I don't think he ever even spoke to the other guys in the band, except for maybe a couple of times. He just, I don't know what was the purpose. He got us our deal and you know, he was there when it was like, I don't know if it was a way to him to make a little money on this. I have no idea because the guy just completely dropped the ball. Everybody, that, every band, every band, read Ted Telman's book. Oh, yeah. That's the same story. That's, that, that's what he does. That's literally what he's done to everybody. He, I yeah. don't, I mean, that's all you hear well, about. Look, then we had different management and manager forgot to register all of the songs with ASCAP. So I... I'm probably owed a million dollars in <laughs> royalties from writing songs for you know, the, the first four records. I mean, I, it, was, it was it's pathetic when I think about it. But then, you know, it's like you hear that story from everybody. Not that yeah. it makes it more comforting, but that I can sit back and go, you know what? There's nothing I can do to change it. Mm-hmm. I can just get better and smarter. But you know what? They cannot take away what I've accomplished. They can't take away the people that we've been able to reach. They can't take away every record sale. They can't take away. So you're still recording right now. We're talking. You're still relevant. Right. You're a musician. That's what you do for a living. You're not, you're not a coal miner. You're not taking a canary to work every day and going down. You know what I mean? Right. You, you exactly. get a guitar band you, and I'm, we're listening to it. So that's so success. I, 
you kind of you when you get older, you know, you, you you put these things in perspective. I'm still alive. I'm still healthy, and I'm fortunate to be here. And so all that other stuff, maybe God had it in His plan that if I had been, you know, gotten the, all the breaks, you know, look at some of the, the the people that have been massively wealthy. I don't know a whole lot of massively wealthy, successful people that aren't messed up in certain ways. To be honest with you, oh, and I think, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's true. Money changes everything. And, and, and people, human beings are not built to be able to handle wealth and fame. We're just not, you know, it changes everybody and only a few are able to stay grounded. And even the ones that are grounded will tell you horror stories about how it's been. But, um, I'm, you know, I'm just blessed. I just wish that we had been able to, I just want to reach more people. I wish we'd been able to tour more, reach more people and not have breaks. And not have, you know, I just like to go out, play, tour, do records and keep it going on. So, uh, but, you know, we've, been, we've had, you know, 13 releases and getting ready to put out 14th. Um, so, you know, I just, it's it's a rough thing. You know how bad it's changed out there. I mean, it's virtually the record business, virtually non-existent. When I remember when Aerosmith, what, they put a record out 10 years ago, 11 years ago, the last studio record. Just press play. Yeah. And it was, whatever the last one was. And it was like, I remember hearing like, you know, first week out, yeah, sold a thousand units or something. I'm like, we did that. I mean, like, this is Aerosmith. And this was right when things started to, you know. You and then know, the album vanished too. Yeah. 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 You know, and you're thinking to yourself, my God, you know, in the 80s, a band like Aerosmith would sell eight, nine hundred thousand records the first week. It's not like that anymore, man. So well, if you get a hold of your own management, your own stuff right nowadays. You could still make more than you would have making make, a, a, a multiplied atom album by selling a tenth of it if you own your own stuff because the, the label right. took ninety five percent of your stuff anyhow. See, our first few records are all tangled up because I don't even know who I think. Um, oh God, who is it? Uh, Universal owns one of the labels of the first two records, and somebody else owns. And I see. Look, let me tell you something. I've got a podcast, and. Uh, it's on my Facebook page. And when we download it to YouTube, I get warnings from YouTube that I'm not supposed to use my own songs <laughs> because somebody's somewhere, somebody owns the rights. And I'm like, that's my damn song, man. Are you, you, know? are you is it the album version or are you actually playing acoustic? I tried to actually watch it no, and, no. and it was actually not working. It was not working. Uh, Facebook said, oh, we're working on it. I could actually watch one of your podcasts. I was trying to watch one recently and it wouldn't let me. On Facebook? Yeah. It was spinning. It said it was a work page. I went off of just regular. Yeah, your your page directly watched Try it. It was, going a, it was like the last YouTube. one. Go to yeah. YouTube, the Try. Love and War Show, and yeah. all thirty nine episodes are on are there. there. Yeah, but then if we play a song like from my my own now, like sometimes we'll put in like a Kenny Rogers song or something. Yeah, and you get flag right. But my own damn song that you know that i'm owed money on and, and they're gonna give me something like you're not you shouldn't be playing you know that you're not hilarious. you don't own the right side to, you know we just do it anyway <laughs> that is so funny yeah I, I, be I can't do any music on the show the only thing i've had i'll have somebody play they're gonna play their own stuff independently right they own that they put out on their own acoustically that's the only thing i put in live music on my show or wow. with the, or the opening the opening piece the small little instrumental it's i did right. i did i did myself no one else will oh, say it's there. Right. I do not want the machine going after me. Exactly. Well, you see, I can do it with the other records. Everything after Psycho Schizophrenia. Yeah. 
all the other ones that you know that's all right because i own the rights that is, to that. that is so funny though yeah i know <laughs> what are you gonna do i don't even know what they're gonna do so that's really yeah. cool so let's go back to smear you've had a couple changes in your, your lineup a few <laughs> so so looking at it you i don't know you have like a small army you, you know 30, right 30 40 people no you probably had a good 20 people from the yeah. very beginning probably which, i mean you, the band's been together for since 83 35 years 36. so i mean if you work at a job for 36 years you're gonna go through some people Absolutely. I mean, so most like, people get married four or five times in 36 years. That's right. right? So, I mean, there you go. So yeah, that is true. It, you know, it, and the funny part about it is, is that it's never been like a fight. You know, you hear about these bands mm-hmm. and they got massive fights about stuff and then boom, you're in a fight, you're out, kick you out or whatever. It's never been like that. It's been just people changing what they wanted to do with yep. their life. A lot of times, it was out of frustration with the business. People not wanting to tour anymore, not wanting to be away from home, not wanting to, uh, you know, go through this crap anymore. Well, you know? Imagine if you're touring and you're not making the money where you can go home and be like to your wife or your kids, so you're like, this is a nice exactly. house. This is it. They're like, no, we're living in the same crappy situation and you're gone. Right. Exactly. So, so and it changed. Rockstar. <laughs> People wanted to go do their own, you know, their own projects where they would you know uh, be in full control of doing what they want to do which i always encourage look i don't want anybody to stay in the band unless they were happy you know mm-hmm. unless it, it was it was never about you know arguing or anything like that it was just about life goals you know but you did get the band uh, name uh, early on that you copyright which is smart so it will always be your band absolutely yeah it's so, something that a lot of bands are having disputes about you know you will not see you will not have to deal with that one headache of two Lillian axes out there. Right. You know exactly. What I'm right. So that's at so, least a plus that you got. But it's been, you know, no problems. No, you know, like, I, I mean, I don't necessarily uh, stay in touch with all the different guys. I see a few of them here and now and then, but like Michael Max, the original bass player, he's back in the band and he was the one I started the band with. So um, we just, we do have a new lead singer. It's our fourth singer. Um, but it's like when you look at it, each singer's been in a band for over ten years, you know, basically. So you know, it's a, it's a long history, man. Didn't Ron uh, leave and come back for a while? Well, no. What happened is at in like ninety five, ninety six, after Psycho, mm-hmm. and after we were just burnt out and fed up and getting screwed over every which way but loose, um, we decided um, I was actually writing songs, and um, that were. Um, you know, more of a progression, just like from Poetic Justice to Psycho, the next progression, a lot of songs that would be on Waters Rising, you know, um, it just seemed like we're kind of spreading apart a little bit. Yeah. Uh, stylistically, you know, a couple of the other guys wanted to be the next Stone Temple Pilots, and I don't write. That's not me. You know, I write like this. That was um, a hard time, because you couldn't, so, if, you, if you stayed the same, you weren't going to get it. But if you exactly. changed, and you tried being something you weren't, it wasn't going to work because that's not really who you were. So it was really a no-win situation. At yeah, they the defeated. No, so right. I just stayed true to myself. What do, what do I want? What do I like? You know, I wrote lots and lots of songs. I got a huge catalog of songs that never seen the light of day. 
I've even brought some of them back because I go back and listen to them and they just didn't make the record because we didn't have enough space or it didn't fit the rest of the, uh, the theme at the time or whatever. It just, for whatever reasons, it didn't make the record, but they were just as quality as everything else. So, um, but anyway, so that's kind of what happened. We took a break and I started a band called Near Life Experience that I had no boundaries on. Uh, my brother, Craig, played drums. Craig was uh, the drummer for Black Label Society for about 10, 11 years. Oh, wow. And uh, Sam, who's the, uh, um, the rhythm guitar player in Lillian Axe, mm-hmm. he played guitar in it. And um, had another uh, bass player, a um, couple of different bass players. But we spent like five or six years playing, and it was like starting over. Because the Lillian fans, you know, they wanted to hear Misery and True Believer. And we were playing Day of Silver Sun and um, The Last Days of the Martyr. These big, like heavy, dark things. And I was doing lead vocals. And, um, I mean, we'd come out we had candelabras and mannequins hanging and smoke and ice. And it was, it was a different thing. But we were heavy, but it was really good. And the songs were just like. I mean, there, there are people out there right now that are diehard Near Life Experience fans that don't like Lillian Axe music. I mean, they were like that. And like some Lillian Axe fans that um, just didn't like Near Life because you're not playing. I'll have, check, I'll have to check out. Is there anything out there on YouTube, like concerts? Yes, there is. There's a few things. And um, I'll try to find some. Uh, gosh, it, it's, it's so hard for me to even get some copies. I might have some copies. We, we did two records on our own. And um, I think they were real they were way way ahead of that time right there um but um you know so i did that and then it was like the uh just i think i was a little bit just i don't know i was i kind of felt like i was being like uh i don't know not treated very well by some of the other guys you know like hey we got this far we're doing well right now all of a sudden you guys are like, well, I want to do this and I want to write this and I want to do that. And I'm like, you know, hey, let's don't cut our nose off to spite our face. Let's, you know, every team, you know, Drew Brees yeah. Yeah. isn't going to be a linebacker. He's a quarterback for a reason and vice versa. Everybody has a place that makes, you got to work as a team. But all of a sudden, if I just like playing drums and I want to go start playing drums, that's not going to be good for the band, but I like playing drums, but you suck at it, Steve. You can't do it. Why don't you, you know, realize if you want to do it, I'll go start another project playing drums, Steve, but you're not going to play drums in this band because you can't, right? You know, and no, it, kind I think of, it changes the like, formula. If you start, if you have success and all of a sudden you're doing it a certain way and then everybody gets to the point where it's all success, they go, I want part of the fun part now. That's not well, how that, we got here. <laughs> That's not then, the formula. And then I try to give people opportunities to, okay, well, if you want to be involved, put the work in and show me that you can do this or do that. And, and it kind of just got to the point where it was like, you know what, man, I'm just, I, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready to get, put the band back moving. Then all of a sudden we started getting interest. And then Pony Canyon label in Japan says, hey, we're going to put out an album of your B-sides, Feels of Yesterday. I'm like, well, I got enough B-sides to, to, to make a, a record should be happy with uh did we went to japan it was amazing i'm like wow you know uh, we even did some shows where lillian and near life played together 
So I was playing both at the same time. And I was like, this is great. I love it. And, um, and the, this, the, you know, the first one we did, we went under the guise of psychoschizophrenia. We just called it yes. near life experience playing the night opening band, psychoschizophrenia, 750 people showed up in this little bitty club because the word got out. It was Lillian back together. <laughs> it was amazing. And so I'm like, you know what, let's go ahead and do this. But as we did, and I wanted to, all right, I think maybe it's time for us to get back. I wish maybe in retrospect, you know, it's, it's easy to go back. I wish I hadn't have done that. But if I was in the same predicament, I probably would have made the same decision. But I wish maybe we hadn't have taken a break. I wish we would have just maybe trudged through the difficulties and not worried about grunge music. Just screw it. Just go be Lillian. Don't worry about it. You'll weather maybe, it. Maybe, maybe you just would have been so splintered and broken at that point that if you didn't take, take a break. So right. thing. You, can, you, you could have been so dead at that point. There would have been no, no, that's it. Just. So I don't second guess myself. I yeah. just say, hey, maybe I want, what, what would have happened if we hadn't done that? But anyway, we started doing that. And then we started doing some, some uh, spot shows and we did some festivals and we went to Germany and, and at the festival in Germany, I think it was Bang Your Head Festival. It was great. Fantastic. You can see footage of it on the internet. Ron just said uh, he wasn't going to move on with the band. He didn't want to do it anymore. And I know he and Darren were starting their own project. And uh, I think they wanted to write. And they wanted to go ahead and I was like, y'all can still do that and still be in Lillian. But, you know, for whatever reason, that's what happened. And um, I was like, you know, look, man, more power to you. Um, Look, I, I am true survivor if everybody just walked away from me tomorrow i have a backup plan you know and because that's that's what i'm put down here to do and and obstacles are going to occur to everybody in every walk of life and you just keep on going and that's what i will always do i'm fortunate now i actually feel and i know i say this a lot but the way the band is right now is such it's just such a good place it really is i mean brent our new singer is just not only is he just amazing vocalist, but probably one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. And he's become one of my absolute best friends and uh, he and his wife. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when you, you start looking back, it's like, that's what's important in life. I'm sharing this with friends. I got, you know, five or six guys I could say are my best friends and they're all involved with me. And, and I involve them with everything I do, whether it's ghost hunting or the band or, uh side projects or movie stuff or everything i get them all involved because i love the guys you know and and that's what really feels good i'm i'm happy for brent because he looks at being in lillian axe as like a blessing like thank you so much and, they, and you know you've made he this is what he told me and I, I was like it stuck with me he said you are making me allow me to be a part of your legacy that you have built and you have created and he said i don't take that lightly at all and I was like, wow, that's cool, man. Nobody's ever really said that. They, you know, they'd be thankful. To, oh, thanks. I'm the new bass player or whatever. But it wasn't like like a, an emotional, spiritual thing to people. That's when you know you got somebody that's special that, you know, that's who I want to play music with. And because also the fact that they're insanely talented helps, too. But um, so, you know, as you get older, you, you look at things a little differently now, you know. And uh, so we're we're in a really good place. but. You know, that's pretty much what happened. You know, we had Derek singing for us for several albums. He did a great job. He was very similar tonality wise to yeah, Ron. He was a lot of people didn't didn't even like 
no at first, you know. Really? But he sounded, he sounded very, you know, that's just the way he sounded. And I don't feel like I, it took away. I don't feel like it took away from. I could hear the difference because I think Ron. I do. Ron has a really great voice. Yeah. And, and you guys together was a really a special little. It really thing. was. You know, the, the the funny part about that is, um, I knew that. I knew, and I used to tell him. I said, you know what? You know, you look at some of the the great bands of our time, Plant Page, uh, Jagger, Richards, yep. Freddie Mercury, Brian May. They had that that core duo, you know, between the guitar player, songwriter. Yeah, and that's where I saw it there. I just saw you guys play. I saw uh, on YouTube. I just watching. Um, I, I think it was a show from '89, and Ron's out there saying, "This is gonna be our next single." Uh, right. He had all the dates, you know, you know the releases of "Show a Little Love," you know, and just the you guys, just you guys were a team. It was we really were, and I realized that, you know, I really did realize that. And I kept telling him all the time, I said, "Man, you know." This is a this is a bigger picture than we realize right now. It's tough. We're out beating our heads up. We're trying to get success. And I said, it's almost like when you say, um, and I heard this on the office, guy goes, you know what? When did the when do you sit back and realize that the good old days are right now? You know? <laughs> yeah. And that's what it felt like. Quit quit trying so hard and realize that what you're doing right now are the good times. You know, like my son, he's eleven, and I sit back and I go, Man, I sure miss when he was like three or four. I love him so much, man. I just, but when he's seventeen or eighteen, I'm going to be looking back at when he was eleven, like right now, going, "Oh, I wish that." So every day is the good days, it, you know. It is. It is. I look back, I think, but man, I have sixteen and a nineteen and a twenty-one-year-old, and, and really, that's awesome. Goes fast, that grandson. It goes it's so awesome. fast. And now I look back, I'm like, you see them? They're they're so they're like adults now. Yeah. And you're like, I just want to like hug, hug you and hold you like, exactly. and they're like full on got jobs and they're doing this and that. I have a time, you know what I mean? It's like it is, it's become that song, you know, cats in the cradle. Like I know, like, I just want to say that. It becomes like, that song, like yeah. Um, except you, know, I was there to do stuff with them. But the point is, they're like, they got stuff to do. Yeah. You just realize that today is the good old days, you know. So, but back at that time, I, I, I kept telling them that. I said, man, what's you know, you and I really have this thing. We did. Before Poetic Justice came out, they sent us on a three to four week run. We we started in, maybe it was Texas. We went all up and down the coast, through the Midwest, all to the West Coast and back down. Just me and Ron and whatever. This is when they had record reps in different segments of the country. We were in a car together and we went from city to city. We played acoustic shows. We went to the one stops. We went to the manufacturers, went to every radio station, in stores. In four weeks, we hit the whole country. And that set up the success of Poetic Justice. Then we went to Europe and did the same thing for like two and a half, three weeks. And, and it was great. And I was like, we were so good together acoustically. Now with Brent, I have that. I have that good. report. You listen to, he and I, we do every, uh, well, we haven't done it in a few weeks. We're doing it Saturday, but we do a thing called the Man Cave Show. We play acoustically in my garage. Um, and uh, we we just do like two hours of everything. We play Simon and Garfunkel songs. We play Lily and stuff. And we get lots of people that come and listen to it. And we have gotten so good together. It's like, it was like that camaraderie I had with Ron at one time. Yeah. I'm 10 because Brent is that close of a person friend-wise with me too as well. So oh, that's good. I'm looking forward to it because I think it shows, I mean, 
and, and music music wise and musicality wise i don't think there was it, it faltered between the albums like, like i said i went to temple and listened to this albums and between the singers because i went oh he's got a new singer i'm like that's a bummer because i really like them together right I, i'm a fan of music i'm not going to stop listening to it because you know right I, i'm not that guy you know right. they, they get broke up different bands i'm fine there's two bands now i like both the bands now right. twice the music right. it's like a worm you exactly. break in half you get two worms now um so so musically you know it didn't change like you know they're good albums right it was just like there was a, there was a certain energy like you see guys on stage together it was just you know so so this would be interesting to see you with, with your new guy and the new album and hopefully outplaying when the apocalypse is over you know oh I, look we did one thing uh with him we did a stage it which is an online streaming form and we did one show in july and uh it was like three 30 minute sets and you're playing like in a room with no crowd but it was magic man it was uh, it was great he's six four he's a big oh, wow. guy and he, he's got great presence and he's he like he's having fun and that's what everybody says like he's just not only is he a great singer but he is like the kind of guy that you just you just want to go give him a hug because man you're just so cool you're so nice he really is that so i mean i that's why you know we we've got all these shows we had several festivals canceled on us so far this year a lot of shows they're trying to pick up we're coming to atlanta i i, I found out today in april so they're starting to put things in like march april so to speak yeah i've heard the industry word is industry is saying march i know so that's we're why, gonna that's why i'm thinking from other artists so but that's what that's what they're saying but we're gonna um and we're being smart about it i'm not gonna go out there and do just like you know any gig i can do right now just to get out and play i want when we come out with this we're gonna have new new album new material and we're gonna be strong because we're rehearsing you know i and, think it's gonna be competitive no one's everyone thinks it's gonna be exciting which, which it will be yes but everybody better first off they everybody do their homework and have a new album oh, yeah. it better be and it better be good because I, if I you're wish, complaining about man, being bored then... band, look there's so many bands i wish and the only the regret that i have is that i have had to wait so long between albums because if it was up to me i would put an album out and start recording the next one immediately. I love writing and I love recording, but financially and in just for for life yeah. reasons, you can't just go do that. You know, you can't just keep on putting them out. But um, the new album is, uh, I mean, we already, I've had the album art done two years ago. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's done. And um, uh, the studio, this is the first time we're gonna be at Malico Studio in Jackson, Mississippi with a new engineer that used to be on our crew years ago named Kent Bruce. And he and I have that telepathy that I've only had with like one other person. And, um, and it's just, it, he, he's just, he's got it down. He knows what I want. He, he knows how to get it. And he's a great guy to work with. So I just, uh, I just can't wait to get it done. Um, you know, I, I, I hope everybody's going to love it as much as, I'm going to love what I hear in my head so far. I think the energy is going to take it up another level. Your, your excitement. Your yeah. feelings. I mean, cause the music's always going to be there. You know, you're a good player. It's a given, you know, the albums are always good and solid, but when you have a team behind you, yeah. you have an extra bounce, you have an extra glow. You're like, yeah, this oh. is fun. This isn't just a job. This is fun, man. Exactly. And, I, I, and, I, have, and I think oh, people feel that the fans feel that. I think it, you know, it puts on a better show, mm -hmm. you know, a better, better it's well, because you get to a certain point where it's not like we have one or two albums, you know, it's like we have an entire catalog, a long history. So, you know, one thing about me is I've always 
been a little bit, and, and my wife will even tell you, you seem a little happier now when you're on stage. I'm more relaxed. I've always been the guy that it was like, you know, this is the job. Get on stage and just, I'd be so worried about, you know, monitor's not working or the amp's not working or feedback. You know, I, I spent so much time wanting everything to be perfect that I wasn't like, sit back and enjoy that as soon as you bust into the first notes of nobody knows everybody's gonna start screaming you know enjoy that who cares if something else is wrong it's just a guitar it's just an amp it's just who cares exactly i've always been rock and roll some of the mechanical aspects that i hadn't let the spirituality of what's going on i haven't been enjoying it you know now yeah i've already learned to do that after you know how many years part of your your own show man enjoy it and and hopefully your singer your signal will pull you in and make sure you you don't zone out and get back there yeah, we weren't really on tonight or whatever. Didn't didn't really feel that good. And then the people like, it's the greatest show I've ever seen in my life. You know, so it's like, maybe, Steve, maybe you are the one that's you need to chill out and enjoy yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so are you going to be streaming anything? Anything else, any more stuff? Uh, no? I don't think we do it. Streaming things. Uh, no, I think the one we did came out really well, but there was, um, there was just a, a, a lot of hassle. I, I don't want to stream anything because, I really want I, I want that to not be what people see of us right off the bat, even though it really came out well. But I, I just want uh, I want the first thing with Brent to be full out live show. You know, I, get that. I just I just want to see as we talk now what's out there for people. I want people to be aware. You know, there were a lot of bands. Bad. There's some places down here that are doing like there's a venue called Rock and Bowl that has streaming all the time. But a lot of time, it's the same band streaming like every night because these poor guys are out there just trying to get some tips, yeah, get some interest and keep people, you know, into live music. It's a shame what's happening, you know, and that's a whole nother podcast right there. It's oh. talking about that. Uh, it's it's There's... saddening, you know what I'm saying? But um, it's going to be a monster coming out because like there's going to be competition, you know. There's going to yeah. be. I'm so looking the finances at finances right. are different. You guys are gonna get charged more because they, they, everyone wants to recoup their stuff. So the band's always gonna get hit there. There's gonna yeah. be probably you know cleaning charges now because oh, yeah. of this. Band's gonna have to take a hit for that, or there's gonna yeah. be something that you know what I mean. It's gonna be coming at you guys no matter what because yeah. everybody feels like they have to get ahead. No one's gonna be like, hey, we need to be in the middle because if you hit the bands too hard, bands aren't coming to the clubs. Oh, no yeah. one comes to your clubs, your clubs closing anyhow. So you yeah. guys really need to kind of meet in the middle. Yeah. And I have a side project called Sledgehammer. I've been doing it for six years. It's me and uh, Michael Max from Lillian. Brent is the singer. So it's almost like... Almost doesn't feel like a side project. It's like three-fifths of Lillian doing... But we do everything from Iron Man. <laughs> it's like a turn, not even a side. It's like a turn project. <laughs> oh, it's like a... a <laughs> um, and then uh, Danny King, the original Lillian drummer, is playing drums. So he was on Love and War in the first album. Uh, so it's like four fifths and then another guitar player that is filled in for Lillian a few times but we do it's so much fun because we do like everything Alice Cooper and Iron Maiden and, and Ozzy and Sabbath and Aerosmith and the cult and Stone Temple Pilots and Collective Soul and we play that and we we did our first gig since the pandemic um a month ago yeah and they took all the way at the door we're playing there again this Friday night so it's like it's, it's exciting to just be able to even go do a the cover the thing that yeah. sounds awesome yeah wow. some so the last actually so that is music what about the last thing here let's i would say if they're the best for last because not best but 
different. You're paranormal. Yes. This but is interesting. Different, different, team. interesting. Yeah, I have a, uh, a a ghost hunting team, for lack of a better term. Um, it's called The Veil. And it started off where a local production company, I, I met one of the, the uh, two owners at um, my niece's birthday party. And they go, hey, man, I was reading one of your interviews lately. I'm saying you're into the paranormal. So I say, yeah, absolutely. We got an idea for a reality show. Rock guitar player, ghost hunter, like this and that. A couple of years ago, right? You guys have been doing this for a couple of years, right? Yeah. But, but okay, this yeah, is what, yeah, yeah. before I even started doing that. This is like six, seven years ago. Okay. And yeah, let's talk. And so we did. And they we kind of put together a team that I was the host. And we put together a team that I called the veil that, that morphed into more than that. But we have, my team is consist of uh, seven people right now. I have, I'm the host of the show and the lead investigator. I've got my number two guy has been ghost hunting for 30 something years. He's one of the consultants at the Myrtles plantation, which is one of the most haunted places in the country and the most haunted in Louisiana. I have a lady named Deborah LeBlanc. She's a, a Claire, call her Claire Sendium. She's a clairvoyant, sensitive medium. She's an author as well, but she's amazing. Um, Fred Poole from PV Electronics is like the, the audio video guy. My brother and my stage manager for Lillian are the techs that set all the gear up. And we just added a guy named Mark Lanou, who's an ex-NASA uh, scientist to the team. So we have been promised shows for the last four years from Destination America, uh, Travel Channel, uh, through different production companies and individuals. Mark Cuban from Access TV, mm -hmm. they brought one of the producers, they brought the show to Mark Cuban, said, this is my number one show. I love this show. I'm going to do it. Mark Cuban wouldn't even look at it. No paranormal or cooking shows on Access TV. Okay, great. All right. Okay. We had contract, uh, a letter of intent, I should say, from Destination America. And that fell apart. Uh, Ghost Hunters, Jason Hawes, the main guy, the bald-headed guy from Ghost Hunters. Yeah, I used to watch this one. Yeah. We, um, we talked to him several times. He said he loved the show. He wanted to take it to his people in New York and be an, a producer on it. And disappeared and we never heard from him after three or four conversations. I'm like, what is going on with everybody? Is everybody in the entertainment business becoming ghosts? Are they, are they nuts? <laughs> yeah. They're they're you know. So anyway, so we've been doing ghost hunting. Um uh, and our show was gonna be called Ghost. First of all, it was gonna be through the veil, because our team's called the veil. Um, but then it was gonna we changed it to ghosts and guitars because we're utilizing music. Right. And trigger um we're getting ready to we've decided that we're going to do a documentary and that documentary will start filming in january so uh todd schmidt who is my co-host of my podcast mm -hmm. he's an amazing editor cinematographer cameraman videographer i mean he's fantastic he is uh going to film it and edit he and i are writing it together but we're gonna we have a couple of locations that we're waiting to get in that are civil war related. And if we get into them, it's going to be like dangerous investigation, 
but something nobody's ever done before. It's going to be like going to any in the Indiana Jones location. That's how with snakes and crocodiles and everything. Really, it's going to be great. So we start filming that documentary in January as well, and, and we're going to, you know, it's going to take some some time uh, to do it and do it right. But how often do you uh, do it? Do you, do you guys still do it? What's that? How often are you guys going out and doing them? Like. We were doing like an investigation every month for a little while. It's been a little while because of the COVID thing, you know. Well, yeah. Uh, the ghosts won't come out if they if we don't have masks on. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of what kind of crazy stuff? Because I, I did see you guys had some you had some good stuff though. You guys had some good uh, evidence though, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, uh, I had I've had several like what we call Class A EVPs. Which EVPs are the electronic voice phenomena that you pick up on digital recordings that aren't there with your naked eye, and you pick them up. And those are the things that really got me into ghost hunting. When I first started listening to them, and I would hear examples of voices from elsewhere, Mm -hmm. it triggered something in me that was like, not only scared the hell out of me, but amazed me into wanting to ghost hunt. And then I'm out there capturing these things. And being in rooms with, with spirits and, and hearing things and watching things and seeing movements and, and, um, and communicating. And it's just, it's amazing. It's mm-hmm. gotten to the point, though, unfortunately, that sometimes I like take it for granted. You know, like we'll go to a location yeah. and I'll get all these comments and voices that aren't there and kids crying and music playing and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, check this one out. This is great. And I'm like, wait a minute. 10 years ago you would have been like you wouldn't have been able to sleep for a week if you captured one of these now you're like it's, it's i was saying the, the kids the kids stuff is usually when you see is usually the creepiest for me i don't know why yeah it is because and you it, think a, a, a child's why is right. it a child's spirit you know like there's a place that we went to the woodlands plantation in louisiana and an eight-year-old boy like a hundred or more years ago uh, he died and his mother out of grief drank carbolic acid like a month after and killed herself we got um an evp of a little boy saying be nice to mom be nice to mom and you can hear it oh. clear there were no kids anywhere near i was in a room at night now you're talking about like two in the morning upstairs in a in a haunted plantation and i'm sitting in there pitch black and I only have a cameraman sitting over there. And I'm like, look, I, if, if you're the little boy, you know, who passed away here, I really feel bad for you. You got robbed out of, of your childhood. Are you okay? I, I said, I've got a little ball here. If you want to come play with me, um, move the ball and, and just come say hi to me. And that little voice says, thanks. Just like that. I mean, it's like, and you, you know, and it sounds like, okay, well, it's just, yeah, it's way more than just a little kid's voice saying it. The kids come, where's that boy? What dimension is he from? What is he experiencing right now? What is he thinking looking at me sitting in a in a dark room wanting to meet him? What is he going through? How did he die? What did he go through? You know, and all these things, it becomes like this immense question that's not just about, you know, it's a ghost. You know, I don't even like to use the term ghost. Well, you, for argument's sake. Right. So, so you're in that zone, right? You're the ghost, ghost kid, right? Right your mindset might not be the same. Like, you know, like we always project things on people will be like, man, it must suck to be a dog because a dog's not thinking like, man, it sucks to be me because a dog doesn't right. think like we do. So argument's sake, if you're in a different dimension or your energy or your whatever, 
they might not be, and they, they might be stuck or trapped or something, or they might be remembering or trapped in some kind of repetitive nature. I forgot what it's called. Um, it might not be the same pain. It might just be an echo or it might be, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. You, know, you don't really don't know, but I'm saying, but it might not also be end of the world every day for them. Like, uh, like, a, like a small, like, like your child in the dark alone. Exactly right. We don't, that's the thing. We have no reference point. We don't know what they're actually going through. So that's why, you know, you hear people go, I mean, I've had people tell me, Steve, you're a Christian man, but those are evil spirits. And I'm like, no, they're not. How do you know that? And anybody that tries, you see these talking heads on these shows are like, well, what ghosts are trying to do is this or that. They're trying to reach out. You know, I'm like, you know what? We don't have a clue what's going on with them. All we know is we're making some kind of communication, some kind of relationship, whether it's uh, just um, residual energy that's sitting in there. A lot of times, I don't think it is because there's an intelligent comment coming back you know like well, yeah it, it's, it's weird arguable stuff some of it's not and some of it is then that makes you right. think is, is there is there different levels of it that's that's the point exactly and that's the thing all we can go by is that we have evidence all i can tell you is that little kid said that when i asked that i don't know what he's going through he might just be happy as a lark makes he it, might maybe, be, i don't know basically a joke you know the way i said nothing's nothing is more adorable than hearing a little kids running through the hallway Unless you right. don't have kids. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, at night running the hallway, you're like, unless you don't have kids. Exactly. But you those know, when you, you when I would get those, um, anything with children, because a lot of places, you know, that's one of the, the manifestations is they see kids and stuff. Um, and I look at it, it makes me sad, you know, when I think about it, because I look at it through my eyes of a little kid that's life got. But. You know, but I don't know. He might, that. that entity that i like to i think they're souls i just think it's the soul now the soul may be way more complicated and we even realize how many you know what an actual soul is i don't think we can understand anything yeah it's it's the way that we can compartmentalize things and and the way we can say the soul is the essence of the person now what is the soul how complicated is it how deep is it what are the layers of it? What does it do? What kind of communication can it have? We don't know. And none of us are going to know until we make that next step. So all we can do is, like I say, we find the evidence, we present it, we'll give you a hypothesis all day long about what we think it is. But think about this just beautiful that we can do that, you know? Yeah. So it's a lot of fun, man. It's opened my eyes a lot. What about, um, arguably, devil's advocate here, right? the, the fear and people say, getting something caught and stuck to you coming home with you well that happened to me actually one time because that is uh, a concern especially was, you know it is if you do it all the time that is a real thing if you're right well we pray before and after we have you know we pray for god's protection and we basically the thought is that if you you know the power of your words you you tell an entity you know, why we're here and you're not allowed to come in. You know, there is something to be said for inviting something in. That's why Ouija boards are frowned upon. But, um, you know, one time we did a location and Deborah, our our clairvoyant, our medium, at the last second, she couldn't make it. She had an emergency and she lived like three and a half hours from the location. So she called to tell us that she couldn't make it. So things weren't going well the cameras were, were dying on us the cameramen who are normally really nice guys were being very irritable it was just something not 
the vibe of the whole shoot the whole day into the night was not just wasn't something wasn't right right so um we forgot to pray at the end to you know to let spirits know you're not allowed to come home with us and we forgot to do our prayer and then um so the next day was it i get a text from deborah and it's like uh something followed you home last night you need to cleanse your house i'm like what so I no, it was late the next night, like at 1130 at night. So I go to call her back up, but she's not answering the phone. So I'm telling my wife about it, who already is freaking out. She's reticent about making sure that we say our prayers and all. You don't want anything following you. And, and so we forgot. And then Deborah doesn't answer the phone. So all night long, you know, I'm like, you know, just a little on edge. How did she know? How did she know? Did she, how did she figure that out? I, he felt it from wherever she was. So the next morning, first thing, like eight o'clock in the morning, I called Deborah. What are you doing? Don't ever do that again. If you're gonna, if something like that's yeah. happening, you better be there to talk to me about it. So she said that she said that she picked up that um, an elderly woman who un, was unhappy that lived in that plantation followed me home because of my wife's disposition and the kindness of my wife. She was attaching herself to my wife through me and it's like okay i don't quite understand this deborah but what do i need to do and my wife was like you have been kind of a little different you know and i'm like what i didn't you know so i'm <laughs> like okay so anyway we had to cleanse the house uh sage it pray you know certain prayers and and just do what we spiritually needed to do to clean and and it was like a weight got lifted off of you know the house now i don't know if that was just um us feeling good about what we did okay. i don't I, well, I, I don't i don't know i i i think not all of them i think i think there's different entities out there i yeah. don't i think some you're not gonna you can pray but they're not gonna believe in god it's not right. gonna make a difference i think it not everyone fall, plays by the rules and can say oh you're right i gotta stop because that's how exactly. i was i think i think if you are gonna be that who they were before reflects upon how they think upon what you're doing if they weren't a part of that you know right. They're going to be like, didn't bother me before on earth. Not going to stop now. Well, that's the thing. I think that, you know, if you were a jerk as a person, you're probably going to be a jerk as a soul. Right. Unless it, something happened to change you. I mean, that's just the way I look at it. It's like uh, when people say, you know, uh, you know, like you know, when people, well, maybe when this guy gets fit, rich and famous, he'll be nice. I mean, you know, he's just going to be the same asshole, but he's just rich now, you know, if you're really? a, yeah, I, a, a good it, person. I think, you know, that's the thing. We don't understand what happens when we pass. What does our soul go through? What, where do we go? What do we have to do? Are we allowed to go back? Can we go back? Are we, do we have any control over what we do? We don't know any of these things. So based us, we are just a bag of based us, man. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a, what, what, what do they say? Uh, we're a, a spirit in a, in a physical body. I, I mean, it's, that's yeah. our essence is, is there, is our soul or our, whatever you want to call it. We call it the soul. That's what we are. We're in a physical body. This is just Your flesh yeah. for a while, you know? So it's, it's amazing. It makes you think a lot. It makes you really realize how much we don't know about anything, you know, but, but just the fact that we can experience things that we can't explain and nobody can explain them. And I never try to, I'll tell you the facts. I'll tell you what I think. And, uh, but as far as like, 
when I hear these ghost hunters go, well, that ghost was trying to do this. How do you know that he was trying to do that? You know, just show us what you're picking up. You know? I think there's a lot out there, and I think it's, it gives a lot of questions for a lot of things, you know, and, and, and it just makes you think more. I, don't, I think it almost brings up more questions. Yeah. See, yeah. I'm always, I always say I'm smart enough to know that I'm not smart enough to know, and none of us are. Mm-hmm. So just keep moving, man. Keep That's growing, awesome. keep getting better at what we do, and try to be, be better people every day and learn as much as we can. That's awesome. That's actually that's good words to end on. Um, Hopefully, I want to thank you for being on the show, and hopefully, um, we'll, we'll catch up next year when you're doing some live gigs or something. Touch up, promote you. What are you doing? You know, your album comes well, out. I, it was a pleasure. You really enjoyed talking to you, and don't make it next year. You got well, you my number. I know. You, you know what I'm saying, dude. It, it's 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 like December. Next year is like three yeah. weeks. That's like, it. My kids got open some gifts, and then it's like next year. Come on. Yeah, well, we're probably kind of clingy lot, here. A lot of things are. Are going to probably start happening in the new year. So March, I, right? March. <laughs> yes, exactly. So all the frontline workers and musicians are going to get shots. <laughs> yeah, like, the last ones are going <laughs> to try to get rid of us all. But yeah. Uh, yeah, stay in touch with me, man. Let me know Absolutely. how. Anything, uh, I'll keep you posted on what's happening. Anything I can do for you, let me know. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Once you're on the show, you're a friend of the show, and I want to keep. We're just going to keep promoting, having awesome. you back. I want to have some. Actually, going to do um, next year. I'm talking to some panels. Oh, cool. And there's like tons of different things. And I want to talk about some of the things in the music industry, how, how you guys are screwed or, you know, right. how, are this happening or, you know, other topics of um, coming into, the, uh, I was just talking to a band from England, how hard it is for the European bands to tour over here. The right. costs that they have to pay for visas. And, and so just touring things. And there's just, I think I like to talk about like how women have gone through music and just so many different topics that haven't been represented and fair. Yep. And I think, it'd be great to talk about and get a couple of different people, a couple of different musicians. Cause I, I do different musicians and different styles. I'm not locked in. Right. Very open-minded. And, yeah. and you know, I'll give you a call. I'll let you know, man. Be, be honored to do it, man. All right, brother. I thank you. And everything, I will have all the links underneath all your stuff. All right. We'll post everything okay. on, on the page and that's it. So thank right. you. Uh, My pl- all right, Take care. Bye, bye everybody.